me ask you something. What is it with these federal prosecutors and these former federal prosecutors? Do they all have to look like idiots? I mean, this Jack Smith, did he not look like a lunatic when he was unveiling that indictment against Donald Trump, the appointed special prosecutor? He reminds me a lot of that other idiot that I spoke about a few weeks ago, Mark Pomerantz. It must be a common thing among these feds to wear these short goatee-like beads and look like there's something out off the Smith Brothers cough drops box. I don't know, but um, it's not working, guys. It's not working. Time to get a new look. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so in one of several ways. You can go to the the uh, Google Play Store, the iTunes App Store, download the free Podbean app, which is our hosting service, and you could subscribe that way. Or you can use the native podcast aggregator app on whichever device you use and simply uh, follow the show that way. Just search out The Jamie Dury Show and add it to your list of subscriptions. Either way you subscribe, you will be allowed to make comments, leave reviews. We need more of both. The more we get, the faster the show will grow. So we please ask you, take the time. We really do want this. Take the time to give us a review because our research indicates that reviews are one of the fastest ways that podcasts can grow. So if you enjoy the material that we give you, if you enjoy the stuff we provide you with and you want to hear more of it, Please give us a review. Give us a five-star review because the more reviews we get, the higher we will appear in searches when people go to either the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store and search for political content or conservative political content, and that will help us. And also, as always, please share the show with your friends. Tell, Tell them about us and ask them to listen as well. So everybody is in a tizzy over this indictment uh, of Donald Trump by Special Prosecutor Jack Smith. Now, Special Prosecutor Jack Smith is, of course, appointed by Merrick Garland, the attorney general, who was in turn appointed by Joe Biden. And Joe Biden had to sign off on this. Otherwise, it would never have been able to have been done. And this was pointed out by none other than Mark Levin, who himself is a very competent attorney and worked in the Reagan Justice Department. Now, indictments always seem bad when they're unveiled, but you have to understand that a grand jury proceeding is run exclusively by the prosecutor, whether it's at the state, federal, or local level. It's all the prosecutor. Your lawyers don't get in there. Your lawyers don't get to ask any questions. Your lawyers don't get to present anything. So all they have to do is present evidence that is flattering to the prosecution and hold in abeyance or not call witnesses that are supportive or flattering to the defense. In this way, the grand jury is given a one-sided presentation of the fact pattern and will return the indictment that the prosecutor was seeking. This is why, and not without a degree of accuracy and validity, Former Chief Justice of New York State, Saul Wachler, who wound up having some other issues and problems later in his life, pointed out quite correctly that a grand jury could indict a ham sandwich. And they could. They can do anything they want. And they often do. But usually the day after an indictment, things change as the other side comes out and the lawyers for the other side come out And they start speaking, and you start learning about things that were not presented by the prosecutor, 
and then you find out that things aren't as they appear to be and are not as one-sided as you originally were led to believe. And that is the case in this case. Uh, A lot of people have weighed in, and we're going to try and unpack it all. We're just going to give you an overview. First, Jonathan Turley, you remember that name. Jonathan Turley is a distinguished law professor from George Washington University. Now, he had testified before Congress on certain things, and they wanted him to uh, testify in a, in a manner favorable to the Congress and against President Trump back when Trump was the was the president. And it didn't work out that way. Jonathan Turley wound up being, it was about the impeachment, and Jonathan Turley wound up being a very good witness for uh, for Donald Trump. He didn't think that uh, the impeachment was a was a valid exercise of congressional authority on the basis of which they brought it. In any event, he's weighed in on this, and he points out something that, of course, we all knew, that, and Mark Levin pointed out last week, that, you know, if Trump is convicted on even one count of this indictment, uh, it's a death sentence for him, because he's 76 years old, they are giving him a shotgun indictment with 37 counts, and probably most of them are duplications of counts, um, and... These federal statutes are draconian and carry 10 to 20-year maximum, so it's 76 years old. If he were to get 26, I mean 20 years, uh, he'd have to live to 96 to survive that sentence, or even 86 if he gets 10 years. So that's a problem. Do I think he will actually do that? No, I do not. What I do think is, by going after this, I think that the Biden administration and the country as a whole has sunk to a very, very low and a deplorable level. We have reduced ourselves to becoming a banana republic. The only type of governments, the only type of people who do these type of things are third world governments. Leaders who came to power and had their political opponents arrested, you can count among them Daniel Ortega from Nicaragua, Evo Morales from Bolivia, Hugo Chavez in Venezuela, and now you can add Joe Biden of the United States of America to the list. That's a list that no American president should be on, but Biden is there, and he's there by his own hand or by the hand of his handlers. This is disgusting. It is beneath disgusting that we would sink to this level. And what I think in discussing it with some friends, is I think they're trying to see just how far they can push the American people. It seems to me that they are deliberately pushing the American people to the point where we're going to have a second revolution in this country. Because people are willing to take only so much. You can push people only so far. You can tax them only so much. You can, uh, I mean, you're getting... uh, rumblings of things that happened in the Revolutionary War. I hear now that the city of New York is trying to incentivize people and watch it, watch it, wait for it. If they fail to incentivize people by offering money, they'll do it by force. What am I referring to? Right now, the city of New York is seeing, seeking to incentivize people to house some of these illegal immigrants in their homes and probably maybe reimburse them to a degree for food and other things. Uh, while that they might incur in costs as, as these people are there. 
But what happens when people decide we don't want these people in our homes? And what happens when these hotels can't fit anymore? And what happens when these surrounding county executives are successful in court keeping people out and the city of New York has to find a place? Are we going to have a 21st century version of the Quartering Act where the Brits mandated colonists to house British soldiers in their homes against their will? How far before people revolt? That's what they're doing with this indictment of Donald Trump. I think they want people to engage in violence. I think they want people to push back. I think they want to bring the full weight of the military and law enforcement on the weight of these people who revolt, try and put this thing down, say the country is in danger of being taken over by white supremacists, and then institute martial law and turn this into a dictatorship in a communist country once and for all and saying they have to do it for the common good. The only thing that needs to be done for for the common good is to get rid of these people in Washington. We need to get rid of Joe Biden. He's an incompetent, dementia-ridden fool. We need to have term limits to get these career politicians the hell out of Congress and the Senate. And that's the way we put the country on a better footing. Because if anyone thinks these 535 idiots that you have in Washington, D.C., are the best, most qualified people to legislate for the American people out of a population of 335 million, you need your head examined or you're willing to buy oceanfront property in Arizona. There is no third alternative. So let's talk about this indictment. Getting back to Professor Jonathan Turley, he says he's got to run the table. He's got to get all these these counts wiped out. But as he points out, now we've not heard the other side. This is a quote. Generally, the indictments are a lot stronger on the day that they are issued than on the next day. So they may be able to knock down some of these issues, Turley said, referring to Trump's possible defense arguments. But some of the evidence is coming from his former counsel, and these are very very damaging statements made against him. It may be hard to move those. And let's talk about that for a second. Now, William Barr, who I always said was not trustworthy, is trying to say the case against Trump is a very strong one. I don't think so. And neither does Mark Levin, among other people. We're going to get to the very, very competent lawyer that Trump has hired, as well as get a little deep into who Jack Smith is and what he's done in the past. First of all, there is a very, very narrow use of the law And it requires a very high standard where you can gain access to attorney-client privilege information. And I don't think that that level has been reached. So I don't think they're going to be able to use any of this stuff they're getting from Trump's lawyers. And Trump's lawyers are not giving this stuff up. These people are being forced to by, um, by the government. And I don't think it's going to hold up. But now why is there such a problem with this case? Well, because the wrong body of law is being used, or the wrong law, the wrong act, is being used against Trump. Jesse Bennell is an attorney for President Trump. Now, he did some work for him relative to the 2020 election, but he's a very, very bright, bright man. Uh, He's a partner at a firm called Harvey and Bennell. Uh, He specializes in appellate litigation, civil litigation, business and nonprofit law, election law, international disputes, parliamentary law and procedure, virtual currencies, white-collar defense. He's got a, a degree from George Mason University where he made his BA in communications, which means he's very good at speaking and making his points. 
Uh, he made a career as a certified professional parliamentarian. Uh, he's returned to George Mason University School of Law and got a JD in 2009. This man is a very, very educated, very knowledgeable, very capable man. And so he has weighed in on this indictment of Trump. And he says it won't hold up. The indictment against Donald Trump pursuing him over handling of classified records won't hold up against the law. Now, why is this? Quote from Mr. Bennell, Congress has been very, very clear. They have said, and there are reasons for this that go back to the constitutional duties and obligations and rights of presidents, that the act that applies to presidents and former presidents is the Presidential Records Act. The act that applies to everyone else is the Espionage Act, which has different requirements. Donald Trump has been indicted under the Espionage Act, which does not apply to him because he is a former president. And Congress created the Presidential Records Act for that reason. Now, he unsealed this indictment and he said he violated the Espionage Act and some other laws after some classified documents were found in Mar-a-Lago. Now, the agent seized, according to this, more than 11,000 materials without classified markings and about 100 records marked classified during an August 8th raid. Now, if you've got unclassified material, how do you seize it? Only 100 of what you're looking for was there. You get that. And 11,000, you just take it for the hell of it? According to this inventory list, they took more than 1,600 newspaper and magazine articles. What does that got to do with the Espionage Act? What is a newspaper article? Something in the, in the public domain that anyone could buy, own, or possess. What is a newspaper or magazine article or an empty folder or an article of clothing books or gifts have to do with the Espionage Act, but yet they took them. Now, Bennell uh, is not representing Mr. Trump on the documents matter. Uh, he represents him in other factors. I'm sure he'll probably consult, perhaps. But uh, after reading the indictment, he said that by pursuing their charges against Trump, the Department of Justice is applying a two-tiered system of justice out of animosity for Trump. He said, for instance, and he cites examples. When Joe Biden had documents from his time <coughs> as a United States senator and vice president, he wasn't under the Presidential Records Act. So, Mr. Bennell has already correctly pointed out, <clears throat> and it's very important for you to understand this, that's why I'm doing this show today, because I want to make this distinction. Presidents and former presidents are protected by the Presidential Records Act. There's a standard that has to be met. It's a different standard than the Espionage Act. Anyone who is not a president or a former president, they fall under the Espionage Act. When Joe Biden was a senator and when he was a vice president, he was not covered by the Presidential Records Act. He didn't have those protections. He falls under the Espionage Act. And he said it here. He didn't have all the protections and rights under the Presidential Records Act. He was under the Federal Records Act, and he was under the Espionage Act. 
This is what Benell is saying. Senator Clinton, when she had her classified document scandal that James Comey famously declined to prosecute, also not a former president or president, she was also under the Espionage Act and under the Federal Records Act, not under the Presidential Records Act. Those are cases that could have been actually been brought under the Espionage Act. Quote, this case, meaning the case at bar, the Trump case, is absolutely inappropriate to be brought under the Espionage Act. It does not apply, which is why it will not withstand legal scrutiny. This is complete weaponization of the Department of Justice. Complete weaponization. Banal is speculating that following years of controversial actions by the U.S. government, Smith's indictment only further highlights how certain political figures are politicizing the Justice Department for their own interests. Quote, the real problem here is that Attorney General Merrick Garland knew exactly what he was getting when he appointed Jack Smith as special counsel. He appointed a zealot. He appointed a Trump hater. He appointed somebody that he knew was going to stop at nothing to go after and get Trump because Democrats are absolutely terrified of Donald Trump because he's the first president in recent American history to actually stand up for the American people and stand up against D.C. bureaucracy, and they cannot have him back in the presidency. Quote again, the truth is that personnel is always policy. So when you appoint somebody like Jack Smith to go after Donald Trump, and then you appoint other people to essentially paper over the allegations against President Biden and against Mike Pence, then you see this dual system of justice that we have in this country. And we see the gaslighting from Jack Smith saying that there's one set of laws that apply to everyone, he said of Smith's speech. It would be comical if it wasn't so offensive. Hear, hear, Mr. Benal. I've been saying this for months. If I hear one more pundit, I wanted to punch George Stephanopoulos in the, in the mouth the other day when he said to Trump's lawyer, Jack Trusty, don't you believe that everyone is accountable under the law, that no one is above the law? That's right. No one is above the law, in theory. No one, we should say, no one should be above the law. But if you have a pencil and paper, we can write down these names of people that are above the law. Hillary Clinton is above the law. Mike Pence is above the law. Joe Biden is above the law. All these people are above the law. They've all committed crimes. And let me tell you something else. Comey makes the stupid statement the other day that we can't have Donald Trump back because it's going to be a presidency of retribution. No, no, it's not going to be a presidency of retribution. It's going to be a presidency of justice because people like you, Mr. Comey, need to be in jail. I've said this before, just to expand on this notion, this uh, observation, I should say, that Mr. Benal made about there being a dual system of justice in this country. Every crime, ladies and gentlemen, has what is known as a level of mental culpability. Uh, you'll see it in various statutes. I'm not familiar with all of federal statutes, but almost every statute has it. I'm more familiar with the laws here in New York. If you look in New York in the penal law, for instance, and that would be the body of law that covers things like murder and assault and arson and kidnapping and rape and, you know, a host of other crimes, burglary, you'll find one of four 
levels of mental, mental culpability that describe a person's mental state that they have to be in in order to be guilty of this crime. It will either begin with, a person is guilty of X when he intentionally, or the statute will say, when he knowingly, or the statute will say, when he recklessly, or the statute will say, or with criminal negligence. Now, I'm not claiming to substitute my judgment for a lawyer, but just to give you a, a working man's uh, definition of these things. When a person acts with intent, intentionally, it means that he acted with the intent, with the forethought, to achieve the result he got. So in other words, if a person decided that he wanted to cause serious physical injury when he shoots at a person and shoots him with a bullet and hits him, he's guilty of a felonious assault. Now, if he intended to shoot the person, but he only intended, and you can prove it, let's, I'm assuming the facts will support this, that he only intended to cause serious physical injury by wounding him. He meant to shoot him in the knee, let's say, and to wound him. And somehow the bullet goes a little high and hits the femoral artery and the man bleeds out and dies. Or the man, uh, the bullet deflects or was aimed upward and hits him in the brain and kills him. Well, now he's achieved the result of death by his action, but that wasn't his intent. His intent was to only cause serious harm. But he knew that there was a risk that something more serious than harm, death, could have resulted, but that wasn't his intent. That's sort of like acting knowingly. You try to make something bad happen, you want to make something bad happen, something worse happens than you want it to happen. You didn't intend that, but you knew it could have happened if you weren't careful. So that's knowingly. So that's less criminal, that's less mental awareness, so usually the sentence goes down. Then you have recklessly, which is a disregard of a substantial and unjustifiable risk, like driving drunk is automatically a reckless act. And then you have criminal negligence, which is one of the most vexing statutes and mental states to, to define. It's something more than mere negligence. Like it's something more than being careful. It has to be that the, the negligent act, the mere perception or mere non-perception of a risk is not enough. It has to be such a substantial risk that the failure to perceive it is negligence. Now, why do I go through all that? Well, as a way to illustrate why Hillary Clinton was above the law. James Comey, without authority, because he's not a prosecutor, he wasn't the district attorney, I mean, he wasn't a U.S. attorney, he wasn't the attorney general, he was the director of the FBI, took it upon himself to rewrite the law and said, we're not going to recommend prosecution against Mrs. Clinton because there was no intent. Well, intent never entered into the issue. The statute that she would have been charged with was when you act with negligence. She negligently, she had to know there was a risk to the security of this information by keeping it on an unclassified, unprotected private server in the basement of her home. And she was doing this for only one reason, to conceal illegal things that she was doing, like taking bribes, getting money for influence and policy decisions, 
The Clintons are the biggest political hucksters and thieves to come down the pike in Washington in my lifetime, maybe since the beginning of the Republic. Although Biden is doing his best to try and make them look like uh, poster boys and girls. She was clearly guilty of negligence. Comey knew this. So all of a sudden, he decided to retroactively change the language and said, well, there was no intent. Well, I do believe there was intent. Uh, That's beside the point. She didn't accidentally make the server in her basement. She knew she was setting up a server in her basement. That is intent. Now, you want to say she didn't intend to cause that result? I, I don't believe that either, but if you want to make that case, fine. But there was no, never intent was never an issue. She acted with negligence. He put that in there because he knew that proving intent was going to be difficult. He did that to give us a reason why he wasn't recommending that she be charged. And because they all thought back in 2016, they all believed their own BS in their own polls, that there was no way that Donald Trump was going to win the 2016 election. So let's get this out of the way before the election so that when she does get elected, she can get into her presidency without the cloud of this investigation hanging over her. When anybody raises it, we can say, well, it's already dealt with. It was fully investigated before the, the election. It's over and done. Nothing to see here. Goodbye. But there was plenty to see there. She was guilty. Pence had documents from when he was vice president. He's not protected under the Presidential Records Act. He's guilty. Biden had documents from when he was vice president. He had them for years. Had them in a garage with his Corvette, unsecured, unprotected, unaccounted for. He had documents from when he was a senator. No protection under the Presidential Records Act. None of them are prosecuted. And to add insult to injury, this indictment of Trump is unsealed on the day that a whistleblower has credible evidence that Biden took a bribe. Now, we're going to come back to that for a second. But let's just talk about this nut job, Jack Smith. Now, they go to great lengths in a lot of these internet postings about his bio to say he doesn't belong to any political party. That doesn't mean anything. You can be a hack. Maybe the guy doesn't want to be identified with a political party so he can sort of credibly say he has no axe to grind, but he's still there on a mission. He has ideology. He has an opinion. He has an opinion. Jack Smith was first appointed U.S. attorney to the Middle District of Tennessee, but before that, Smith began his career in the 90s as a prosecutor in New York County's district attorney's office. That's Manhattan, for those of you who are not familiar with the five counties of New York. New York is atypical of most places in the country. Most places, counties exist within cities, uh, not the other way around. But in New York, each borough of the city is its own county. So you have five counties within one city. I'm not aware of any place else in the United States where that is the case. But he was a prosecutor there in in the Manhattan DA's office. Later on, he served as the chief of criminal litigation and in other positions for the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York. From 08 to 2010, he served as an investigative coordinator at the Office of the Prosecutor at the International Criminal Court in The Hague, uh, supervising investigations of foreign government officials, war crimes, so forth. In 2015 is when he was appointed as U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Tennessee. 
Then he worked for Hospital Corporation. He also prosecuted people at the Kosovo Special Chambers, blah, blah, blah. Harvard Law graduate, same as that idiot, uh, Pomerantz, also a graduate of the State University of New York at Oneonta, uh, Pompous Pomerantz, I should call him. We have now Pompous Smith. Now, Reuters, they make sure they put this down. Reuters reported that Smith is not registered with any political party. I'll bet you if I look, Pomerantz is not registered with any political party. This way he can just do what he wants and carry out his political agenda and say he's unbiased. I think he's not going to be challenged by that. Look at some of the high-profile cases this guy's been involved in. Now, they're trying to say he has an aggressive approach, but devoid of partisanship. I doubt it. Here are some high-profile cases that Jack Smith has pursued. In 2014, a federal grand jury, a federal jury, rather, after indictment, convicted former Republican Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell, very important that they put down as a Republican, on 11 counts including honest services fraud, I don't even know what the devil that is, extortion, and conspiracy. McDonald and his wife participated in a scheme to solicit and obtain loans and gifts from Virginia Corporation exceeding $170,000. In 2016, two years later, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned that conviction unanimously. So you can't say it was partisan. All nine judges, even the liberal ones, overturned that conviction. John Roberts, the chief justice, wrote for the majority and said that the government, quote, used a boundless interpretation of the federal bribery statute, meaning using the interpretation they used to get the uh, the governor and his wife, you can have convicted anyone of almost anything. They also indicted former Senator from North Carolina, John Edwards, you remember him, the Breck girl. He had the hair combed. He was spent a fortune for his haircuts. He was a very, very successful civil attorney in private life before he became a senator and then the running mate for John Kerry when they ran unsuccessfully against George Bush in his second term. In 2011, a federal grand jury indicted the former senator in a scheme accusing him of violating the federal campaign finance laws. The the prosecutors, Smith, alleged that during his 2008 presidential campaign, that was when he was running as a candidate before he became the vice presidential nominee on the Kerry ticket, that he conspired with other people to receive campaign contributions. I'm reading from an article. This is in the Dallas Morning News. Um, that exceeded federal limits to avoid disclosure of an affair and a resulting pregnancy. In 2012, the jury found him not guilty on one count related to accepting illegal contributions and deadlocked on the other five charges resulting in a mistrial. So he didn't do too well there. The Justice Department declined to retry the case. Bob Menendez, Democrat, New Jersey, 2015, Menendez was indicted along with Solomon Melgan, a Florida ophthalmologist, same article, for allegedly accepting gifts from Melgan in exchange for using his Senate office powers to benefit Melgan's financial and personal interests. An 11-week trial back in 2017 ended in a hung jury. The Justice Department again declined 
to retry the case. Now, he does wind up getting one conviction here against uh, Congressman Rick Rienzi from Arizona. He was a congressman um, from 2003 to 2009. He was convicted in 2013 by a federal jury of 17 felony offenses. 17. Convicted on 17 counts. Now, remember, a felony is any crime for which the maximum sentence can exceed one year. If the maximum sentence is less than one year, it's a misdemeanor. But most of these federal felonies have uh, maximum sentences far in excess of one year. 10, 20 years is nothing there. And you may get a lenient judge that lets them run concurrently, or you may get some judge to make them run consecutively, depending on what the sentencing laws require and what the judge's disposition is with respect to that particular case and that particular defendant. And these 17 felony offenses were all related to conspiring to extort and bribe people seeking a federal land exchange. Now, Renzi was sentenced to just three years in prison. Trump, president at the time, pardoned him. Now, the article goes on to mention, well, the pardon doesn't mean the prosecution was flawed. No, the pardon doesn't mean the prosecution was flawed per se, but what does tell me the prosecution is flawed, knowing what I know about the federal system and my experience seeing the federal system in action, you don't get convicted of 17 felony counts in federal court and get sentenced by a judge to three years in prison. That's the judge saying what he thinks of the case, meaning he doesn't think too much of it. That maybe technically under the letter of the law he had to allow the conviction to stand and couldn't throw it out, but he didn't think it was worth a spot of yellow snow, so he decided to give him three years in prison. And that's probably was a major factor in why Trump decided to pardon him. So this guy has a pattern of bringing politically motivated prosecutions. He absolutely hates Trump. He's no different than Mark Pomerantz, who absolutely hates Trump. And he agreed to do that work for the Manhattan DA's office for nothing, because he wanted to get his pound of flesh. He wanted to get his moment in the sun. And because he didn't get his way, he stomped his feet like the spoiled little brat he is, and he wrote a book, and then he tried to hide behind confidentiality laws when he was subpoenaed before Congress, and the judge says, you got to be kidding me. You wrote a book, you're not hiding behind anything, you're going to testify in Congress. Then he proceeds to make a statement, and then hides behind the Fifth Amendment. I never would allow him to get away with it. I even wrote a letter to Jim Jordan telling him he shouldn't let him get away with it. Why they did is only up to them. It's amazing. Now, it's being speculated that Jack Smith may bring another indictment against Trump because this may be a problem. Uh, Because the judge that has the case... Now, when these cases go before a federal court, there's an administrative judge who runs all of this, and then there's a wheel, what they call a wheel. And in the interest of supposedly impartiality, when a case goes... They spin a wheel, and they randomly pick the judge, so the people can't say they were judge shopping. And you have to have a pretty compelling reason to have a case moved out of that judge's court. You just can't move it for no reason. Well, the judge that has the case right now is Judge Aileen Cannon. Aileen Cannon was appointed to the bench 
by Donald Trump early in his presidency. And she was the judge that had the case initially when Trump sued um, that he was entitled to have a special master to review and parse the documents that were seized by the FBI. And she granted <clears throat> that decision. Um, in December 22, uh, the U.S. Court for the 11th Circuit reversed that decision a few months after she issued it. Issued it. Uh, but it never went any farther because Trump didn't appeal it to the Supreme Court. Now, the Justice Department in the past has usually been accused of venue shopping. So a lot of these cases are brought in D.C., which is the 13th Circuit, very powerful circuit. Um, but they didn't do that here, I guess, because they were afraid it might get thrown out. So this indictment was brought in the district that covers Mar-a-Lago. 37-count indictment under the Espionage Act, conspiring to obstruct the federal investigation, blah, 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 blah. So they're all speculating what happens if Judge Cannon does not recuse herself but seeks to hold on to the case. A lot of things can happen. They're speculating that Jack Smith foresaw the possibility that Cannon could have been randomly assigned, but he decided to indict the case in Florida anyway for reasons that are understandable, if debatable. If debatable. The Sixth Amendment entitles criminal defense to a trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed. So they're trying to say since he had them in Florida, the documents, the crime committed in Florida. If he indicted him for the Espionage Act and obstruction in D.C., would have carried a significant risk because the Supreme Court is currently considering a case where the question is whether the government can even retry a case if, following a conviction, an appeals court decides the government chose the wrong district. So in other words, the Supreme Court is currently hearing a case that if applied to Trump if Smith had sought this indictment in D.C. in the in the 13th Circuit or the District for D.C., and he was convicted in D.C. because of all the liberal jurists you're going to have there, and he appealed it, and either the circuit for the 13th Circuit or the Supreme Court decided that the government chose the wrong district, they may decide that they can't even retry the case, that double jeopardy applies. It's not the defendant's fault that you tried the wrong place. You did. You screwed over done out. These are all very, very complicated legal questions. Now they're talking about the conspiracy to defraud the United States. Look, this is beyond disgusting. It is beyond disgusting. They are so scraping the barrel to try and come up with anything they can put together that looks like a crime when they don't have one. Now I wanted to pull some of this information I've been speaking about in the last few minutes from this article, because this article is written by a man who is admittedly anti-Trump. It's written by a man named Dennis Aftergut. He's a former federal prosecutor who writes on national affairs. He has argued before the Supreme Court, is currently counsel to the lawyers defending American democracy. So he's an anti-Trumper. Comments are closed, of course. They didn't want anybody telling him to go pound sand because he's an idiot. He's coming up with all these theories. He thinks that 
that Smith, this lunatic, may have a backup plan because there are two potential crimes that he, in his opinion, that he thinks have been clearly committed by Trump in Washington, making it virtually risk-free to indict Trump there. One is the crime of unlawfully removing official documents from a government office. The other is conspiracy to defraud the United States. Now, I don't know what the defrauding is. They're trying to say that it may... It may, this may be brought when two or more individuals agree to deprive the government of its lawful functions and act in furtherance of their scheme. Moving the documents from the White House to Mar-a-Lago, uh, removing government documents that belong in the custody of the National Archives or of intelligence agencies would qualify. I don't think so. And I don't think most jurors would think that's a conspiracy to defraud the United States either. This is just a stretch. I think that the observations of Mr. Benal, um, when he talks about the Presidential um, Records Act as being controlling, and that that is the act that controls here, and that the Espionage Act is not applicable, and that may be a big thing, because if all these counts emanate from the Espionage Act, and as Mr. Benal says, the Constitution and Congress has been very, very clear from the beginning. Um, an appeals court, or if it goes to the Supreme Court, may just say, listen, you never had any grounds to do this. You were barking up the wrong tree. The Espionage Act cannot apply to a president or a former president. And I'll quote Mr. Benal again. Congress has been very, very clear. They have said, and there are reasons for this, that go back to the constitutional duties and obligations and rights of presidents, that the act that applies to presidents and former presidents is the Presidential Records Act. The act that applies to everyone else, former vice presidents, i.e. Mike Pence, Joe Biden, former senators, i.e. Joe Biden, is the Espionage Act. So I think Jack Smith made a mistake here. They're trying to trump up, no pun intended, these charges, and I suspect they deliberately did not use the Presidential Records Act for one very simple reason. President Trump didn't violate the Presidential Records Act, so they wouldn't have been able to get an indictment there because the applicable body of law says that he's not in violation of it. So they create this crime with the Espionage Act. So I think... uh, this thing's going to play out in a way that's going to be very, very, um, very, very bad. Let's put it that way for Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. And of all people, um, former Congressman Barney Frank, here's a guy I would have thought I never would have agreed with anything that ever came out of his mouth in his life. He's a man that caused all kinds of problems for investors, rolled the dice with taxpayers' money, a lot of these schemes. Uh, he was first openly gay congressman. He had a male prostitute living with him in his taxpayer-funded residence in Washington, D.C. It was a type of scandal that would keep people's relatives out of politics. Didn't seem to stop him, and he kept getting reelected in Massachusetts till he finally uh, retired. But he said, of all people, it was a mistake to indict former President Donald Trump on charges connected with documents in his possession as the move was politically unwise. I think people said, oh, this is a political indictment. This is what Frank told Newsmax. I think it's the absence of politics. 
First of all, let's be clear, and others have said this, there is no sign, this is Frank saying this, there's no sign that what Trump did endangered national security. Instead, Frank said he thinks that the documents were moved to Trump's properties in a move that was self-indulgent and sloppy. Well, that's a subjective observation, but I don't think self-indulgent, indulge, I'm sorry, I don't think self-indulgence and being sloppy appear anywhere in the federal statutes as crimes. She says, I would like him to explain why he did it. My own guess is that there were some embarrassing things in there, for example, about his love affair with the dictator of North Korea. But there's no allegations that the American national security was harmed by any of this. And I think that Frank is right. He also said, I'd like to see this issue of Trump work out at the ballot box in November of 2024. The best way to do that is to run against Donald Trump. I think he'll be the nominee. Well, you can't really argue with Frank on this point. We don't use our criminal justice system to defeat our political opponents. We either defeat them on the merits in the, at the ballot box or we don't. But we don't have them arrested unless we want to be counted among the history books with people like Hugo Chavez and Daniel Ortega, the people I mentioned at the beginning of the program. And all of this, all of this happening, the indictment, everything else, while Joe Biden, with no one observing it or talking about it, the mainstream media, accused by a credible informant of taking $5 million in a bribery scheme with a foreign national. Listen to this commentary on this piece in the Epic Times by David uh, Harsanyi. President Joe Biden has been accused by a credible informant of allegedly taking $5 million in a bribery scheme with a foreign national while he was sitting vice president. That seems like a pretty big story, but what do I know? Apparently, there's a document laying out the accusation in some detail, and it's not one cooked up by an oppo research firm for the Republican National Committee either, and then disseminated to saps in the media to try to delegitimize a presidential election, referring to, of course, what they did with Trump with the uh, Steele dossier, which was bought and paid for by Hillary Clinton's campaign. No. It's in an unclassified FD-1023 form, a form used by law enforcement to record credible tips. It's not in the possession of BuzzFeed, no, but rather the vaunted FBI, which refused to hand it to Congress for some reason, but they finally did. I know, I know, it's getting tedious asking people to imagine the thermonuclear media blast they'd be swept up in if a Republican president had been accused of bribery by an FBI informant. This is the way of the world. But that's what's happened. The president of the United States, the current president, was accused by a person who's been an FBI informant for 10 years and has been paid over $100,000 for his testimony in other cases. Highly credible. And he says that President Joe Biden took $5 million when he was vice president. And other Bidens took another $5 million. They're compromised. They're bought and paid for. This is a crime. This is treason. Nothing to see here. Go after that bad man. 
that bad man in Florida <clears throat> that has a piece of paper that he de- declassified and has the authority to declassify whenever he wants and, and is covered by the Presidential Records Act, not the espionage. Go after him because he violated the law? No. Because he took bribes? No. Because he endangered security of the United States? No. Well, why are we going after him? Because he's leading in the polls. He's going to beat me in 2024. You got it. You got it. That's it. And that's all it is. But these people are going crazy. And while we're on the subject of having a very legal discussion in this episode, let's close it out with another legal discussion, which I pontificated on the other day. And I will reiterate again today. There seems to be some scuttlebutt that a cease and desist order was sent by Fox News to Tucker Carlson's attorney. It came in a report by Axios. Axios is claiming that Fox sent a letter, which has the text, not for publication at the top. This letter supposedly is demanding that Carson stop his new Twitter show. He's done two episodes by far. The first episode drew 85 million views. 85 million views. That's almost 30 times the audience that his show got on Fox News. The second show also drew tens of millions of views. Now, a lawyer for Mr. Carlson, Harmeet Dillon, said that her friend and his, her client, Tucker Carlson, will not be silenced by the far left or by Fox News. Fox News uh, has not reached out to make a comment when asked by the Epic Times or Axios, I believe. But his lawyer, Dylan, doubled down. She said, doubling down on the most catastrophic programming decision in the history of the cable news industry. Fox is now demanding that Tucker Carlson be silent until after the 2024 election. Tucker will not be silenced by anyone. He is a singularly important voice on matters of public interest in our country and will remain so. High-powered Hollywood attorney Brian Friedman also represents Carlson, and he also told news outlets last week that Carlson won't be silenced by Fox News. Now, let me just remind you what I said last week for those of you who didn't hear the show. All of these news people, especially these high-profile people, when they have their contracts many of whom are very lucrative, they all sign non-disclosure agreements, meaning they can't work for a competitor if they leave during their contract time. If they get fired, the people that hired them say that they can't work for another agency, but we'll pay you. The only way that they're allowed to work for another agency is if they fire them and release them from their obligation and they work for another agency, then they can maybe get away without paying. But if you, you can't fire someone, say they can't work for anybody else, and then not pay them. They can keep Carlson on the bench, and maybe they figure it's worth it to them to keep him on the bench until after the 2024 election because they are taking sides in the 2024 election against Donald Trump, and they don't want Tucker Carlson's voice out there. And they're willing to pay $20 million a year for that because that's what Carlson made. But I made the observation that Twitter is a social media platform. 
It is not a broadcast agency. It is not One American News. It is not Newsmax. It is not CNN. It is not NBC, MSNBC. Not that those latter three would have Tucker Carlson anyway. But it's not a bona fide news agency. It is a social media platform through which news items and information do flow, but they're not broadcast. Now, people can monetize social media platforms, as you know that. Instagram can be monetized. Facebook can be monetized. YouTube can be monetized. But there's no evidence that Tucker Carlson is doing that. So I said, if he monetizes it, there's a gray area. But if Tucker Carlson continues to give his opinion as an American citizen, who just happened to be a former journalist at Fox, doesn't get paid by Twitter, which he's not, doesn't get paid by a third party to do it, doesn't get any ad revenue for allowing people to advertise during this cast, if he just does it as a public interest and does it for free, I don't think any court is going to say that Tucker Carlson is in violation of his non-compete clause because he rendered services to someone else, because clearly he is not. He is not rendering services to any other for-profit agency. He is simply using social media to give his opinion. And as long as he does that, I hate to break the news to you, Fox News, but you're going to have to pay him $20 million a year of your money to listen to him until his contract time with you has expired. And you're just going to have to live with it. For The Jamie Dury Show, I'm Jamie Dury.